I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. The program, I am grateful to my guest in studio right now, Michael Teeter. He's uh, uh, an attorney representing the West High School principal who has been placed on uh, administrative leave and just yesterday received uh, a notice of intent on the part of the district uh, to terminate his employment. All that stems from an event which took place on the 14th of November last year. Uh, There was a lot going on. It was a chaotic day uh, over on the campus of West High School. One of the events in the midst of that chaos was three uh, young women who... uh, they were seemingly impaired, such that they uh, required uh, a ride home. The principal offered that ride, drove uh, the students home, and then returned back to the school. And uh, through various interpretations and investigations of the events of that day, uh, that principal, the following day, was placed on administrative leave. And just yesterday, got word from the district that they do not intend uh, to continue their relationship. Now, the the question I have for you, there's just a couple of follow-up questions yeah. uh, to, again, Attorney Michael Teeter. The students, you know, the, the, we heard about this in the news, so the students certainly heard about it themselves. What uh, was the reaction of students? Was Well, first of all, let me ask you, was the principal a liked guy there at the school? He was loved. He was loved. You can see that from the demonstrations after he was placed on administrative leave with hundreds of students walking out of the high school to protest that he was even placed on administrative leave. I think part of the timing that the district arrived at to give him his notice yesterday was that there's no school today. Mm. Students have not had an opportunity to digest this as a collective group. So we don't know what the reaction is right now. Here's a silly question. Why isn't there school today? It's just a student-free day. Student-free knows why. Huh. <laughs> hey, producer Amy, we got to look into having days like that for ourselves here. It's just days where we take one off. All right, very good. Uh, so let me ask you this. The, this story involves uh, three young women and their families because, uh, as you've shared with us today, it was the, uh, the principal who drove uh, these young women to their home, uh, a known home, a place he had visited in the past, uh, we're familiar with the family. Have we heard from uh, either these, the, the women involved or their family members? Immediately after, the, that after Principal White was placed on administrative leave, they reached out to him. They felt very sorry for it. They were... Um, almost despondent over the fact that their daughter's behavior and the daughters themselves had, uh, had created this problem for him. They appreciated very much what he did for them. The other option for him would have been to report them to the police, and that seems to be what the district wanted him to do, placing them in the school-to-prison pipeline and um, making sure that their future was not as successful as it could have been. So he made the right choice for them, and they understand that. He made, uh, and again, speaking to uh, Michael Teeter, attorney representing this principal, is it your interpretation that his assessment of the situation was not in violation of school policies? I think that the policies are unclear, and, and I think that there are expectations for principals that are not combined with the reality of the statute uh, and the requirement that, this, that principals not report students to the police, but also that um, the reliance of the policies are vague terms like professionalism and um, proper judgment. It's an open question as to whether or not anything that Principal White chose to do on that day violated any policies. All right. Uh, listen, Michael Teeter, I'm grateful to you for joining us here in studio. We'll follow this, and please, if, if you could stay in contact with myself and producer Amy, we'd love to see where this goes. It's a fascinating story, uh, and uh, it was a lot of twists and turns and uh, different interpretations of things, and again, so I'm grateful to you for your time. Thanks, Lee. All righty.
Hey, listen, uh, before we have a few minutes left in this segment, and I want to uh, shift gears pretty dramatically here for a second. Yesterday, uh, you and I here on this program heard from Senator Dan McKay. We were talking yesterday about a piece of legislation of his where he would change the constitution of the state of Utah to allow for uh, uh, the election of judges. There are some states in the United States where judges are uh, elected here in Utah. The process is that when a vacancy vacancy arises, the governor, uh, through consultation with a committee, is able to make an appointment selection. And then it's uh, only through retention uh, elections that folks are able to vote uh, for their judges. Well, Representative, uh, or I'm sorry, Senator McKay uh, proposes uh, that we allow for a direct election of judges. So that that was yesterday's deal uh, with Senator Dan McKay. Today now, uh, we have learned that he is dipping his toe back in the pool of SB 54. You remember that? That was a piece of legislation, controversial one. It went on for a long, long time. And I thought, I thought that I thought it all been settled. I thought that we here in Utah were now going to be uh, a place where if you would like to become a candidate, a nominee for, a, uh, for office <clears throat> and receive the nomination of your respective party, that you now have two options. You could either uh, gather signatures. Each, you know, each of the different offices have a different requirement for how many signatures you must gather. And you could go that route. Uh, for example, the, the candidates for governor right now have, uh, I believe all of them made it known that they intend to, to gather signatures. If I'm wrong, someone's got to set me straight, but I believe, I believe uh, that they are all seeking signatures. Now, that is only one of two ways that you're able to get yourself on the primary ballot. The other way would be to appear before the, uh, the delegates in the uh, in the convention and make your case there where those delegates are able to cast their vote and if you earn a sufficient number of those votes uh wham bam you're on the ballot uh, well folks have had differing opinions on that the count my vote folks of course uh would like uh this initiative or for this signature process to to continue they're the folks that uh, that push that pretty heavily well on the other side of the coin there are the folks that would like the 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 power and the ability to place folks on the primary ballot to remain in the hands of the delegates and to focus on the convention system most of the candidates this year i uh, also candidates for governor that is and the other races it applies to them as well but uh while the governor's race is kind of hot on everyone's mind. In fact, it was just a few hours ago that all those candidates got together just across the street here uh, for one of these Silicon Slopes events, and they debated one another. I'm anxious to, to comb through that, read the transcripts, see what folks had to say, particularly on the topic of uh, education and taxes. Anyway, that's an aside. Uh, what I'm talking about now is this piece of legislation introduced by Senator McKay. He would like to empower parties uh, to uh, be able to uh, disqualify those who would seek signatures. Now, this is a big, long, complicated issue, and what I'm doing right now is simply summarizing. Uh, Producer Amy and I were chatting this morning uh, about how we ought to most appropriately cover this, and what we're going to do is, uh, over the course of the next few hours, we're going to reach out to all the parties involved. We're going to talk to the party bosses. Uh, we're going to talk to the senator, of course. We're going to reach back out to the folks at Count My Vote, and uh, and on Monday, uh, we're going to dedicate a good deal of time to uh, the, the thinking behind this, the reactions to the effort by Senator McKay here, and just get Get it all sorted out because turns out uh, SB 54 has not yet been settled. Someone would like to, to open up that can of worms. Um, 
Oh, someone pointed out to me that uh, that uh, uh, Greg Hughes uh, is is not gathering signatures. I'll verify that, but that does sound familiar. Uh, that, uh, that former Speaker of the House, Greg Hughes, in his effort to uh, become governor, is not seeking signatures. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what. I, we'll Google all that, and, and I'll refresh my memory. And in the next segment, uh, okay, uh, Producer Amy has confirmed Greg Hughes not gathering signatures. It's my belief and recollection the others uh, are. Anyway, so uh, SB 54 not yet over. Senator McKay would like to allow parties to have more say in how they place folks on their primary ballots. We'll see how that all pans out uh, and we're going to follow it uh, very closely and on Monday we're going to have a full presentation. We're going to speak to all the parties involved. Listen, in the next segment we're speaking to Utah Representative John Curtis. We're going to talk about Iran. We're going to talk about an AUMF. We're going to talk about some of the things uh, that he's doing in Washington on that front next here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.